This is a Taming the Ferrets experience. And we're back. Welcome, everybody. Another season of Taming the Ferrets going Woo-hoo. on. And we've got Emil and Tony here. And if you're listening on the podcast, wherever you listen to good podcasts, that's me, Tony, the one with the lips moving, and Emil is the other one that doesn't have his lips moving. So if you listen to this audio, you probably can't actually see that. So tune into our YouTube channel. If you can't find the YouTube channel, because we haven't got it up yet, but be warned, it's coming. Hey, so, Tony, what have you been up to this week? <laughs> what have you been doing? Well, I've been um, looking, going through some schools and things like that, and my kids are still reveling around Ames Whoa. Games. Ames Games? What's Ames that games. all about? So, a couple of weeks ago, we had Ames Games here in Tauranga. How many children were there? Look, there's more athletes than there is in some of the Olympic Games, right? Wowza. And Commonwealth Games. So, put things in context, 1,800 athletes playing football and or futsal. 144 netball teams. Sure, So there's... Um, 11,500 kids in total. Yeah, massive. Ames Games with his, the in, intermediate and middle schools. That is a massive organisational feat. And then, but I was thinking to myself with accommodation, volunteers, waste Whoa. management, all that sports that were had been played, I mean, yeah. imagine putting 144 netball teams together. Sure, but How do you do that? How do you do that? How would you run an event like that? Who is the tournament director? I don't know. So I was thinking what would be really cool is if we can talk to the tournament director. Excellent. Obviously the event is the focus, but it's really looking at the outputs of that event as well. So when we think about our athletes and our participants, it is about loving sport. And there's a lot of research that says that, you know, participation in sport dies down once kids get to that college age. And so it's really about those positive sporting moments and for them to develop a real love of sport so that they do continue it from a health and a fitness perspective as well. A collection or a group of ferrets is called a business. Taming the Ferret shares and dissects the stories behind local businesses, the founders, entrepreneurs, leaders, influencers, figureheads, operators and employees. This show offers key insights, tips, tricks, hacks, and breakthrough moments and the stories of who these people are, why they do what they do, and where they do it. Tune in to hear the stories behind local businesses, local people, and for all those that want to tame their own ferrets. Welcome to New Zealand's most awarding business podcast. Here we go. Welcome to Taming the Ferrets. Who have we got in the office, uh, studio today? Kelly. Kia ora. Kia ora, How are you? Yeah, Thanks for Kelly. having me. Kelly, can you share a little bit about who you are and where you're from and what you do? Yeah, yeah. So um, my name's Kelly Shishka. I'm the tournament director for the Zespri Ames Games. So for the Zespri Ames Games kicked off back in 2004 with 17 schools, four sporting codes and 760 competitors. Wow. So it was started by four of our local founding schools, Tauranga Intermediate, Otomotai Intermediate, Mount Monganui Intermediate and Tipuki Intermediate. The two principals of Tauranga Intermediate and Otomotai Intermediate at the time, Hink Popping, who's still the principal at Otomotai Intermediate, and Brian Diver, former principal of Tauranga Intermediate, had a great idea. Wouldn't it be great if we could have a sporting competition, an inter-school sporting competition that was just for year seven and eight across, you know, a range of different sporting codes. Wow, fast that forward. Sounds exciting. Sounds exciting. Yeah. And fast forward. Managing how many children did you say? Well, back then it was 760 children. Fast forward to 2023 and we had 11,733 athletes representing 373 schools across 25 different sporting codes in Tauranga and the Western Bay of Plenty. That is enough energy to run a small village. 
Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and look, it is energy like no other because these are kids who have fundraised all year, trained all year, and they're on a week-long sleepover with their school friends. So um, it's a pretty special kind of hype. <laughs> as long as there's no sugar involved, we'll be okay. <laughs> we don't need the extra. That's excellent. So what's your background? How did you get into event organising? Yeah, a little bit by accident, if I'm honest. I'm a local girl from Tauranga originally. I actually started in events management as a bit of a summer holiday job working over at Blue Bayou in Papamoa. So just started as a waitress and in their fish and, they used to have a fish and chip shop over there. So working over there, they were really busy even back then with weddings and functions. So started doing some of them and yeah, ended up being their functions coordinator for a little while. And then went on my OA, uh, thought we'd stop in Australia for six months or so. Ended up staying there for 10 years and living on the Gold Coast over there for 10 years, myself and my husband. So over there, was incredibly lucky to, to work on a number of major events. I worked for a large venue over there, which was also an AFL club, and also worked for Supercars Australia for several years as well. One thing I know about AFL events, they are massive. Well, they have about 100,000 people at those events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a that pretty, crazy as well? Pretty passionate spectator group. Yeah, moved back to Tauranga back in 2015 and actually worked in the events team at Tauranga City Council for seven years. So first on the regulatory side of the team. So working with event organisers, holding events in public open space. And I guess rather than them having to work with all of the different departments and councils, kind of like an account manager for them. And so their event facilitation team is an awesome team in terms of working with event organisers that come to the city. And they basically join the dots in terms of consents and licensing and making sure that event organisers are talking to all the right people. And then skipped across to the event development team, which is all about council's financial investment in events and attracting events to the city. So one of the things that happened, I come from the sunny east coast of Africa, from Durban, and they built a massive conference centre there. And once they built that conference centre, the city never looked back because the amount of global and international events that turned up was just massive. And so the upside with all this exciting change that's taking place in the centre of Tauranga, with the new council buildings, the new museum, the new library, and all of that, it just lends itself to just a very bright future when it comes to events. And you're sort of leading one of the biggest, if not one of the best, that brings the most to the city, which is really impressive. Yeah, so I'm quite new in this role. Um, so it's only my second Zespri Ames Games. So I started with the Trust in April of last year, but it's such a privilege to work on this event. It's very special to Tauranga, and yeah. it's very special to the kids that come along and the schools that are a part of it as well. Excellent. And so if we just talk a little bit about the event, but that's not the focus today. We are a podcast that talks to small businesses. And so there's a lot of lot of comparisons and similarities that we would like to understand from the events industry that we can cross over into small business so that our audience can appreciate some of your experience when it comes to running events and then comparing that back to their own business. So when it comes to understanding the unique challenges that you have faced when you set up events... One of the first things that starts out was strategically getting organized right back at the beginning. So what's your process when you look at the stages that are included with preparing for a season? Yeah, so it's, it's understanding your why. And ultimately, I report into the Ames Games Trust, so 10 very skilled trustees. And there is a trustee, there's 10 objectives of the Ames Games Trust, and that's our why. And that's what we always come back to. So when you're working through that decision-making process in terms of are we doing this and if so, how are we doing it, it's always working back to those 10 objectives of the trust, which ultimately is all about having an inclusive sporting event for year seven and eight is, cool. is what it looks like in a nutshell. 
but with lots more sophisticated words than that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's gorgeous that seven and eight, uh, year seven and eights get a special attention for a period of time in their lives. <laughs> they become the focus. Yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I know that the principals on the trust who have worked in intermediate schools for a long time say that it's a really important time in adolescent development. And so this experience for a lot of these kids is a real once in a lifetime experience and that special event where they create a lot of memories and new friends and yeah, so it's again a real privilege to be a part of. What would you say is the end product of what you're trying to deliver? Is it the user experience, a well-run event, ultimately it's reflected when you look back if it's a successful event or not, what would be the answer to that? Yeah, so it's a little bit of all of those things if I'm honest. Obviously the event is the focus but it's really looking at the outputs of that event as well. So when we think about our athletes and our participants, it is about loving sport and there's a lot of research that says that you know participation in sport dies down once kids get to that college age and so it's really about those positive sporting moments and for them to develop a real love of sport so that they do continue it from a from a health and a fitness perspective as well. It is about them feeling included and then being a part of a team and creating those friendships that come with sport as well. For us, there's a real drive in terms of growing the volunteer pool in Tauranga and working with different groups in terms of trying to help to develop that volunteer base. And then I guess it's working with our local residents and our local businesses as well. So this is an event that we should be incredibly proud of. Tauranga created this event from scratch back in 2004. It's our 20th birthday this year. Wow. And so it is an event that we should be incredibly proud to host and we should be able to leverage from it as a community and as a business community as well. So the various stages that you go through when you're planning the event starts off with when and what? Yeah, so me for 2024, it'll start off probably about next month. <laughs> so we'll wrap up our post-event reporting and we're straight back into 2024. And for us, that's really about going through those key learnings from 2023. What worked? What didn't work? What could we do better? Mm. We've got two new sporting codes joining us in 2024, so surfing and orienteering. Oh, cool. So it'll be working with those uh, sporting code coordinators in terms of designing and finalizing what their program looks like. So for us, it's very much about confirming the program, making any changes that we need to make or looking at ways that we can improve particular sports or the programs or the offering or what we might be doing off the sports field because it's about the action on and off the sports field as well. So that kicks off probably in about October, November. And, you know, we're, we're going out to schools as early as February of next year in terms of what the confirmed offering is for 2024. Cool. Hey, Kelly, it's Tony here just from, from the background, from the deep and beyond. I thought I'd come and ask some questions as well. And to give our listeners a little bit of change from here in Emil, <laughs> you grew up and I want, I want to know more about you and how you came into the role that you are because it's quite a massive undertaking to any role like this to go into from event management, even with AFL, and deal with hundreds of thousands, to really coordinate the multi facets of what Ames Games is about, including in all the stakeholders from funders, sponsorships, councils, people complaining about things, <laughs> or accommodation. And we'll get into some of the, the details and the nuances between what Tauranga doesn't offer or what it could offer to make the games better. But right now it's – so starting off with, you said you're a, you're a Tauranga girl. Yeah, from Tauranga originally, yeah. Grew up here. And then what, cause what school did you hail from? Oh, I went to St. Mary's, Tauranga Intermediate, and then Katikati College. Oh, very good. Yeah. Very yeah. good. And so back thinking about your Tauranga Intermediate days – yeah, don't say this wrong. Ames Games probably wasn't around when you were at Intermediate. Ugh, just probably wasn't sli around. Slightly yeah. just missed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. okay. Just. Um, 
So now that you've been involved in a couple of years, are you thinking, man, I wish this was around when I was at Intermediate? You know, would there be a particular sport that you would have done? If not, or do you like to be volunteering? You know, because we've got still kids that may be doing the sport, but the volunteering, you've got the beach cleanups, you've got all these other things. It's yeah. great for the community. Yeah, absolutely. I wish it was around. It's such a vibe and it's such a cool thing to be a part of. I think that the only thing that I can compare it to that I did in school and it was in college was, you know, we used to do a music tour and that was where we'd we'd hit the road for a week and go and perform sort of an hour-long production at different schools along the way. And I just remember coming back from that, you know, you might have a couple of friends in the group when you started, but you come back and you're all the best of friends and mm. those are friendships that you continue to have for a number of years. So, yeah, I think that's a big part of it is that social side of it as well. Oh, absolutely. And I think, and look, we had schools coming from, from Fiji, from the Pacific Islands, right? So in the recent names games, even, and I watched a number of the sports and from all over the place, you could see the team camaraderie, even some schools having their own gear, having their own things with Ames Games 2023 on it. So just, it's a lifelong memory that you're going to remember as an 11, 12, 13 year old. So, and to come to Tauranga. And hopefully that brings back people back to Taranga and understand more about what it is in the community. So all those people that are complaining about the traffic and fighting no accommodation, that's good. <laughs> you know, so I'm going to say for yourself, how did you get into that event management stuff to start with? You know, you went to Caddy Caddy College and then yeah, straight, yeah. straight over to Australia, straight into the AFL and dealing with hundreds of thousands of people? Yeah, no, not quite. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, went from Caddy Caddy College to university and actually did teaching to start with. And got partway through that degree and just decided it wasn't quite for me, which, you know, is okay. I don't think my parents thought it was okay at the time, but, you know, <laughs> it was okay. And I was really lucky. I'd worked at Blue Bayou, so a local venue over in Papamoa, for several years when I was at college, just in the school holidays and on weekends. Had formed a really great relationship with the owners at the time. And they said, look, while you're trying to figure out what you want to do, We've had this vacancy come up as our functions coordinator. You know, you've done lots of weddings. Why don't you? Why don't you do that? And let's just see where it goes. And the rest is history, I guess. I was incredibly lucky when I went to Australia to start with a venue over there that kind of grew as I grew in a lot of ways. I started off there as, as a junior coordinator and ended up leaving there as their event manager managing their department and then moved across to Supercars. So my role at Supercars was the corporate hospitality manager. So I was responsible for delivering the corporate hospitality components of the events, both domestically and internationally. So that was a huge role. And it was everything from you know, marketing and promoting the corporate hospitality offerings through to working with caterers, you know, that were catering for thousands of guests in a pop-up kitchen, essentially, in a lot of ways. It was a really hands-on position. So I was I was away for six months of the year when I was in that role. Oh. Got to see some incredible places and um, work with some incredibly talented people. But yeah, so so that's where I've come from, I guess, Always said that we wouldn't move home and I think things change as soon as you have a family. So that's what changed things for us. Came back to Tauranga when our eldest was 10 months old and was really lucky. Tauranga City Council was growing their events team at that point in time. They only had sort of two in that team. They now have a really large team, kind of eight years on. But yeah, joined that team as an event facilitator initially. So that was what I spoke about a little bit before. Really being like an account manager mm. for event organisers. You know, we I think there's that general drive from everyone in the city to be event friendly and enabling. We want it easy for event organisers to be able to stage events here. And we want to be really proud of our events industry in terms of having events in the city that cater to a wide range of people from major events right down to community events and music events and sporting events and everything else in between. 
So I was in that role for about five years and worked on a number of different events in that time, including the Zespri Ames Games, and then yeah, moved across to managing the event development team. So that team is obviously more focused on attracting events to the city. I was heavily involved as the host city lead for the Women's Cricket World Cup, which was a very special event, but a very challenging event in the sense that we got put into the red alert level shortly before it kicked off um, and all the challenges that go with staging a, an event of that nature without having being able to have crowds. Yeah, so I, I guess what I bring to this role is that on the ground experience, that experience in local government, but, you know, also that experience in, you know, in working with a wide range of different people mm. and a wide range of stakeholders, you know, particularly at supercars when you're working across different states and, and sometimes across different countries, you know, your, your regulatory authorities or even the customers that you're working with can be quite different from event to event. It's just about being really adaptable and, you know, trying to cater to the particular demographic that you're working with for that event. So with the, we'll go back to the supercars for a minute. That, I'm, I'm assuming that could be a whole, it's quite male-dominated events industry. And, you know, you might have trying to get your voice across and what you needed to do in that. And it would kind of steer you well for what your role. Because, you know, with my experience and being a tournament director look such as the Ames Games, that's a huge undertaking that a lot of people will be like, bugger that, I'm not doing that, that's too big. <laughs> um, you know, but you've kind of just fed into the strut, as you say, this is your second year running. And obviously COVID affected a, a couple of years ago. So that experience in the supercars that you mentioned the AFL before, that was kind of made this job easy really, isn't it? Oh, it's definitely not easy. <laughs> definitely not easy. Let's not let's not have me quote that. I guess I guess when you've come from a varied background, you can deal with different situations. You know, you're used to dealing with different situations. It's still part of the fun of events, I think, is putting out those fires as they as they light. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, you mentioned there's, it's a 10 to 11 month planning process, right? So luckily we've done it 20 odd years to go back on. But I still, I would be, I'd be staying up at night and could not do what you're doing. I, I'm in awe of what you do. And because you've got kids and how, cause how old are your Yeah, so our kids are eight and three. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, so you're building them up to become the next Ames Games. <laughs> yeah, so. Uh... <laughs> you're all supercar drivers. <laughs> Building up this winning poet. <laughs> yeah, and look, it's not something that's done single-handedly. The trustees are heavily involved in the delivery. They're very active trustees. We've got an incredible team. So I'm very lucky. And again, it's such a privilege to work with such passionate people who are genuinely really good at what they do. And I was going to talk to you about the trustees and obviously from a business side and taming all the ferrets that we try to do on the show. And you're taming a heck of a lot of them with stakeholders and the trustees. From a governance perspective, obviously the trustees on a business side or in a board level don't try and get too hands-on. They want to keep it to the operational stuff, but it sounds like they're pretty hands-on and, and they need to be. Lots going on, so they need to be across the all the organisations and it helps obviously with the involvement in the intermediates and where they sit, so... Yeah, I mean, they're not hands-on in, in the sense they overstep into their operational zone, but they're definitely an active board at a governance level in, in terms of, you know, they vary across what the tournament is shaping up to be, you know, and are involved in that decision-making, which I think is important. Oh, absolutely. And I kind of think from a governance perspective, they have done a great job doing what you guys need to do and why it's been proven a success today. And you keep adding sports and changing sports. And I'm not going to get into that. Is there anything that you've kind of wanted the trustees to do or, or even a sport that wanted to be involved that hasn't been yet? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, I've come into the event at a really unique time. The previous tournament, Devicki, was, you know, she'd been there from the onset. Mm. She's left an incredible legacy. Absolutely. So I was walking into to something that had been done incredibly well up until now. So, you know, no pressure. 
pretty massive shoes to fill. But, you know, with that said, also came into it in a unique time in the sense that the tournament hadn't happened for two years. It had had that two-year hiatus due to COVID. The event's landscape is very different now to what it was pre-COVID. So there were a lot of challenges that came with that last year in the sense that we'd never had to run an event of that size and scale before, you know, as a trust having to integrate the COVID protection framework into every single aspect of it, you know. So that was a challenge in itself and something that was very resource heavy. And it was important to get it right for the safety of everyone that was going to be there as well. Hey, you're halfway through the current podcast that you listen to. I hope you're enjoying the show. Now's a great time to hear from one of our sponsors, which is thepodhub.com. Unlock your podcast potential with our all-in-one podcast service. Welcome to the future of podcasting at thepodhub.com. We offer an all-in-one podcast service that caters to your every need. Whether you're a DIY enthusiast, prefer a collaborative approach, or want us to take care of everything for you, we've got you covered. Do it yourself, unleash your creativity, or do it together, collaborate and amplify, or done for you, professional excellence, simplified. Ready to revolutionize your podcasting journey? Join us at thepodhub.com and tap into the power of your all-in-one podcast service. Sounds great. Now back to the regular scheduled program. So when we talk about the stages, we started with planning, which mm-hmm. came out of the, which you just rolled out of two weeks of distanced <laughs> events and now you're back into planning. It's a case of saying, well, off that stage is what's next with this process until the next event. Yeah, um, well, right now um, there's a lot of debriefing that's going on, obviously. We will, you know, be in a position hopefully by the end of term four to have a really good idea in terms of what our program for 2024 looks like. That goes out to schools and gets promoted to schools from February of next year and then registrations will open in March and they close in sort of early June next year. So that's when we know exactly how many athletes we're working with and where they're coming from and what schools they're representing and how many we've got in each sport, which is really exciting. And that then gives us, you know, that latter stage of the planning phase to really hone down into how many marquees we need and how many hundreds of portaloos and how many hundreds of rubbish bins and, you know, all that logistical stuff. Is there some flexibility there or is, or you got some limitations with respect to how big the event can actually grow into the future? Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that we work incredibly closely with council on and with the venues that we use as well. So this year, the games were held across 26 different venues in Tauranga and the Western Bay of Plenty. So, you know, that's a lot of venue managers and, you know, a regulatory authority that you're working with incredibly closely in the lead up in terms of capacities and that kind of thing as well. For a lot of the larger sports, it is capped. The school can only send sort of one team in that sport, you know, so one netball team, one rugby team, one rugby sevens team, that kind of thing. In the other sports where there's a bit more room to move, you know, entries are unlimited in terms of what they'd like to send. So, yeah. Do you have, now just moving on to sort of budgets and finance, do you know what the potential financial impact or contribution that the AMS Games makes to the Tauranga? Yeah, so the last economic uh, report that was done was in 2019. And so, you know, that economic report said that it did inject just under $6.5 million into the local economy. You know, would speculate that with a lot more attendees. So, you know, we were looking at 11,500 attendees back in 2019, looking at sort of over that now. So I would speculate that it would be slightly more for this year. But yeah, it's certainly a, a huge economic benefit, but a huge community one as well. When you look at 11,500 attendees, it's like, how does that actually work? Because do we have enough beds? 
Yeah, we do. So something that we did quite differently this year was we partnered up with a local accommodation management company, so Beyond a Slow Living Stay. So they're based here in Tauranga. Hayley and her team do a fantastic job. And that was where we really streamlined those accommodation options. So they've obviously got holiday homes that sit on their portfolio. Houses are really good for a lot of schools in terms of, you know, Kids don't mind sleeping on mattresses on the floor in the lounge, but it just means they've got a full kitchen and a laundry to do all the washing of their muddy sports uniforms and that kind of thing as well. So houses work great. The community really opens up their arms to the games in the sense that there are a lot of private homeowners who, you know, will rent their house out to the week for a team, which is fantastic. So, you know, the Beyond a Team were... I guess we call them our accommodation matchmaker. So they were matching schools with homes and making those connections. So it was the first year this year that we had more private homes available than we needed, which was a fantastic result. And I guess we've got, you know, two really different demographics in terms of the athletes that come to town. A lot of our local schools take part, so they don't need accommodation. And some of those schools work with visiting schools in terms of billeting students out as well. But, you know, in the individual sporting codes, they might be traveling up with with their parents or extended family. And so those are the sporting codes that maybe are staying in holiday parks or hotels or with friends and families in Tauranga. And then you've got the team sports that, you know, the other ones who you see with the minivans, with the supporter flags out the windows. um, And they're here with a coach and a manager and they're the ones that essentially are probably more suited to that holiday house or, you know, renting a house from a private homeowner for the week. So if you mentioned there's more accommodation than was needed, that's encouraging for the future, more capacity for more? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we need to be realistic about, you know, the infrastructure in the Bay of Plenty, adding more sports every year, you know, that the region can't sustain no. that for a week. At the moment, you know, we do have those 25 sporting codes, but they're staggered across the course of the week. So some sporting codes are Monday to Friday, some are Saturday to Tuesday, um, you know, so we do see that movement through the week. But, you know, for us, when we talk about growth of the event, it is actually about growing the athlete experience and coming back to those key objectives of the trust as opposed to, you know, wanting to have 40,000 people here for a week. Going into a recession or being in the start of a recession, improving productivity using technology is something that is on the forefront of a lot of business owners' minds. When you look at what technology you've used that's been really useful and what you might be looking for, what would your experience be? Yeah, so a really integral piece of technology that we use is the Zespri Ames Games app. So that's a hugely beneficial piece of technology that we have for the app. So that is everything from draws and results. Um, So a bit of a one-stop shop if you're a team manager or a coach or even a parent trying to follow back home as to how Sally's netball team's gone in the games today through to messaging. So it helps with our operational messaging in terms of, you know, if things need to change due to wet weather or something like that, which it did this year in terms of, you know, being able to notify athletes of that really quickly. But, you know, also partnered with some local businesses in terms of, you know, hot offers that they could offer the teams during the week. You know, it it fed through to live streaming and our social media links and all of the important tournament information. So essentially, if you had that app on your phone, you had all the information at your fingertips. And that was incredibly important for the event. It's been in place for several years now. And it continues to be something that we get exceptional feedback on in terms of, you know, this really helped us. It meant we weren't taking a big folder of stuff around with us and, you know, frantically trying to search for other information because it is live and we do update things as it changes. And how do you work with your team? Is it sort of radios 
when trying to communicate and share what's going on on a daily basis, mobiles? <laughs> yeah, primarily mobiles, if I'm honest. So each sporting code has a sporting code coordinator. So they're essentially responsible for that organizing committee for that particular sports. And there are some hubs where there's multiple sports operating at once. So, you know, first and foremost, everything gets escalated to them as a first point of time. It depends on the sport. So mountain biking, for example, you know, they're, they're spread across a really big space at Summerhill Mountain Bike Park up there. That team will coordinate with radios. But, you know, I guess that escalation point, first and foremost, for any sort of contractors, volunteers and staff on site goes to that sporting code coordinator. And then it's coming up to the event team if anything needs to be escalated further from there. I'm glad you mentioned the mountain biking, um, Kelly, because my nephew won it this year. Ah. Just putting that in there. <laughs> and my boys were part of the winning football team last year. So Ames Games, I was, I was supposed to bring the medals in. But <laughs> oh, congratulations. <laughs> um, and that was, and um, my brother from Chris at Cycle Obsession was running all the bikes up there. So oh, fantastic. A bit of a shout out to him too. So with the app and the communications and you mentioned the weather, I'm interested in the change control. Mm-hmm. There must have been a huge amount of change control procedures and policies that you guys have to put in place just in case because there's so many things with an event with different locations as you mentioned and so many things go not according to plan. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, weather being a big part of it. And unfortunately with this this year, the week before Ames Games, beautiful. Blue skies. And then the following week. It's, it's almost, oh, Ames Games is going to rain. <laughs> yeah, and look, I think... <laughs> The athletes definitely were not as uh, worried about the rain as I was, let's put it that way. I think, you know, a bit of mud in sport makes it more fun, right? (laughs) So, yeah, I I think their perception of the rain was quite different to that of mine and my team. Um, I think it's really important with outdoor events and particularly, you know, this one that you don't say with the likes of mountain biking or BMX that we can smash out everything in two days. Right from the get-go, there are contingency days in place. That's advertised to schools on the program right at the very beginning of the year. And that means we've got a bit of wriggle room which we needed this year. You know, mountain biking was one that the park did need to be closed for one day because it simply was too wet. So from a a health and safety perspective and just from, you know, the park and the car parking and everything just being a little bit too boggy, it did have to be closed and, you know, some gravel needed to be poured on the car park and needed to do some track checks and things like that. And then it was pushed out to the contingency day. So those are decisions that our mountain biking co-coordinator was working really hard with his team escalating things up to me and my team in terms of this is what we think is the best way forward and then we're rolling out those comms to those mountain biking students so that they know what to expect and and that's done you know across the app it's done on the day for anyone that is there it's done through our registration system has a has an EDM mailer through it so it's done through there as well yeah so just making sure that everyone knows that there has been a change of plans but that we've got multiple sort of ways that we can notify them of that. Cool, fantastic. And and going back just on a more of a technology thing on a daily basis, the live streaming, because you guys did live streaming as well. And, you know, did you have many people jumping in on that? And is it live, live on Facebook or? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, so it's through the app. Yeah, no. So live streaming, um, so it was viewable on our website, free to view, just the hip hop and the opening ceremony that was live streamed this year. But you could access that through the app as well. And I think that's more for mums and dads at home as opposed to the people that are actually here. You know, hip hop in particular, with 28 hip hop cruise this year which is massive for hip-hop that was held at mercury bay park on the saturday night lots of mum and dads that you know wish they could have traveled up or traveled down to see their kids perform couldn't but were able to tune in from home yeah one of my favorites and one of the things i'm really interested in is understanding marketing and sales and what actually works when it comes to marketing mm-hmm. with the app and live streaming there's some opportunities for product placements sponsorships mm-hmm. branding 
Is there anything in your event experience when it comes to marketing that you've come across that's worked really well? Yeah, I think it's it's really understanding your demographic and who you're working with and, and really knowing from the onset who's coming to your event and who you're wanting to attract. For us, it's a little bit unique with the Zespri Ames Games because we are targeting year seven and eight students, you know, so it's quite different to an event where you might be trying to sell tickets and you're selling tickets right up until the very end. So we're working closely with principals and sports coordinators, you know, and a lot of new schools that come on board might start off small in the first year. It's a big undertaking for them as well and and a lot of resource and, you know, have to do a lot of fundraising to get there as well. So it's working with them initially, but then it's working with our sponsors and with local business communities in terms of how they can leverage off the event as well. So this is an event that, you know, is great for our local tourism, accommodation, hospitality operators. If you were to look at local businesses and say, well, there's a unique opportunity to take advantage, dare I say it, to use the word, but of the opportunity, understanding the demographic is the key, is what you're saying? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Are you targeting mum or are you targeting the little one? If we're looking at businesses coming on board in a sponsorship perspective, um, it's definitely targeting that parent group, the, the parents or the grandparents, yeah. Yeah, and social media is really powerful for us. You know, we have a very engaged social media audience And that's been a real switch, actually. You know, we've always had a Facebook and an Instagram following, but, you know, you can really see how times have changed over the past two years in particular, and maybe COVID's got something to do with that a little bit as well, and how much that engagement has really changed as well and really grown. So it increased, it's improved more engagement using social media. Yeah. And is there a lot of engagement that takes place prior to the week, or is it throughout the year, or how does... Yeah, um, so we're communicating with our schools right from February each year. Um, so, you know, there's, there's newsletters that go out just in terms of really updating them on, on what's happening. And it might not be, you know, you, you've got your, your sporting deadlines and, and that kind of necessary, but, you know, probably boring stuff. And then there's the fun stuff that we also want to tell them about as well. The beach cleanups and the off-field activities and the, the activation hubs at the events and, you know, and that kind of thing too. And really just being able to enjoy our city and our region while they're here. They do have some downtime. So letting them know where they can go to enjoy what is uniquely Tauranga or uniquely Bay of Plenty. So where do you get the um, so referees, umpires, volunteers? That's a big part of obviously running these, the event. So where do they come from? How are you recruiting? How are you marketing the need for those? Obviously in the past it's easy. You know, if you've done it before, come along. Referees, though, what are they? The kind of people that have done Ames games in the year 9, 10, 11s. Um, Yeah, potentially it's such an important part of the event. It is the backbone of our event. We have over 1,800 volunteers across all of those different sporting codes. It works slightly differently depending on the sporting code. So there is an option, you know, for netball or for hockey and, you know, for some of the other sports um, for schools to bring their own umpires or referees. So, you know, if they've got one that can travel with the team, then that's fantastic. But, yeah, otherwise we are working with, you know, local sporting organisations our local colleges and, you know, so that we have some, some great representation from all of the colleges in terms of, you know, referees, umpires. They, they even coach and manage some of the local school teams. But, yeah, working with those local sports clubs, local organisations and, you know, local schools in terms of getting all the boots that we need on the ground. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you, I mean, you mentioned some of the stats that there's more athletes than the Rio Olympic Games, for example, from 2019. So, and having the volunteers and the people in the school, it's a real community event, isn't it? It's Absolutely. It's not just intermediates, it's not just the parents there, it's everyone right across the board from business to sponsorship, 
from marketing, offering that support and right through to colleges and old, older kids as well. And hopefully, they'll, you know, you're helping someone through the Ames Games right now that may be in your role in the future. Yeah, absolutely. An example of that this year, Mount Monganui Intermediate have a media team. They've got four kids who were covering Busy Spree Ames Games this year. You know, so they were coming to the games every day, following their different school teams at the different venues. They have very tight deadlines, actually. They had to punch out a story each a day. <laughs> um, so they were coming out in the morning, writing a story, you know, and that had to be published on their school website by, you know, that afternoon, which, you know, feels like a pretty harsh deadline, but go Mount Monganui Intermediate. And we got to take them through the media centre as well and, and, and talk to them about how that works in a large-scale event. So, you know, there, there's so many other pieces of the puzzle in terms of, you know, it's not just sports being played on the sports field. When it comes to your Zespri working with Zespri and understanding what key measures or KPIs they're looking for from the event, what in your experience from an event point of view, in particular the AIMS, mm-hmm. would be that priority yeah, um, so it's really understanding Zespri are incredible to work with and they're a really engaged sponsor, which makes it really fun to work with them. They're a great team. But it's really ensuring that, you know, if you've got a naming rights sponsor coming on board in that capacity, that you do have alignment with your core values, you know, and so a big part of the games is an active lifestyle and healthy living and healthy nutrition, which is why we've got, um, you know, those beautiful synergies with Zespri. And so you would say that is the overall theme or message you wanted to convey through the event? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that active, healthy lifestyle. It's a big part of what we're trying to promote or, or what we're trying to, you know, it's a big part of the event experience. All right. We coming to, how long? Has it been 45 minutes? Should we wrap it up? Okay. All right. So for the future of the Ames Games and the event in Tauranga, what advice would you give to people that are wanting to host events? Now, we know there's a lot of big events that take place at the end around Christmas time with music and the bigger kids can go to. Yeah, yeah. So what, in your experience, what kind of advice or thoughts could you share about leading to a successful event? Yeah, I think it's really important to know who your key stakeholders are and to make sure that you're working with them right from the very onset. So they're not an afterthought, you're working with them right from the beginning and they are a key part of your journey. I think that's really incredibly important. But it's also, you know, working with the local community as well. It's important that they embrace an event and I think an event becomes extra special when you've got, you know, a community who relishes in hosting them. So it's keeping in contact with them through that period of time prior so that they take some ownership of the event and so it becomes a celebration of the community. absolutely. Specifically. Hey, cool, Kelly. I just wanted to say thanks very much. But uh, there's a tradition on Taming the Ferrets where the previous guest asks a question for the Ooh. next guest. Yeah. So I'm just going to get our book of knowledge out. Okay. <laughs> and um, try and find the, the last question that was done by our last guest. And um, and let me just see if we can pull it out here. There we go. Well, that's good. Oh, we're kind of going to establish it. But I'll, I'm, this is a good, succinct summary. What's been your greatest achievement to date? At a personal level, definitely our two little girls. Yeah, so they, it's the hardest job in the world. It's much harder than my actual job, <laughs> but it's, it's the best job in the world too. And I'm, I think every single day they challenge me to be a better person. I'm incredibly proud of them. So that's, that's definitely my biggest achievement to date in terms of, of my life. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a big part of, you know, why I'm so passionate about what I do because I see um, the effect that, the Zespri Ames Games has on kids and I think about my kids and, and the things that you want for your kids as they grow up. That's why there's so much drive there to make it really special. 
you know, so we can see you in this role for the foreseeable future. Absolutely. Yep, yep. yep. For yep. as long as the trust will have me. <laughs> oh, Keep it out there, trustees. <laughs> I've got a good sorted. All right. Anything else you wanted to add? Uh, no, just I think a big you. thank you to the Tauranga community. We feel incredibly lucky to be able to host the event in Tauranga in the Western Bay of Plenty. And it simply wouldn't happen without the support of our locals who do everything from toot and wave at the minivans um, through to come along to cheer on these kids that they haven't met before through to making sure that all of their bananas and Powerade are stopped up in the dairies, you know. So um, there's so many things that our locals do behind the scenes to make the event really special and to make it work. And again, we couldn't do it without them. So, yeah, a huge thank you to them. Yeah, that's awesome. And we appreciate you coming to the studio to tell in about it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And, and it's, it's, it's been fun. Yeah. Um, and we didn't even talk about waste management and sustainability. We'll get onto that for the next time. <laughs> Anything else from you, Emil? Uh, no, excellent. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And if you could maybe just write something in the book. Absolutely, I can do. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's us. Like what you hear? Don't forget to follow us on social media at Taming the Ferrets. And to give us a five stars on your favorite podcast provider. We're New Zealand's best kept secret, but don't be afraid to share us with the world. Want to do your own podcast? Have some stories to tell? Or want to be an industry leader? Want to have market exposure via podcasts and even sponsor a show? Connect with the people at thepodhub.com for your perfectly placed presentable podcast.